Have you ever seen the plant when it needs water, the, the leaves are droopy? What happens when you pour water in? Like almost instantly, whoop, comes to life. That's what we're going to do. Drink deep from the wells of salvation. Lift up your weary heads. If you're weary today, just drink deep of the wells of salvation Jesus provided for us. The Bible says he's our glory and the one who lifts our head. How many times did David say to himself, oh my soul, why are you downcast? Why are you depressed? There's a king on the throne. Come on, y'all go with me. Why are you worried and downcast, oh my soul? There's a king on the throne who will reign forever, who holds me in the palm of his hand. If it matters to me, it matters to him. He has light for me. He has deep wells of salvation that when we drink of it, what happens? We never thirst again. Oh, how many of you ever felt that longing in your heart for something more? Like, oh, and nothing satisfies it. We opened up, all my fountains are in you. Nothing satisfies. But when we drink deep from the wells of salvation, he satisfies that longing and we're never thirsty again. If you've been seeking and you've been thirsty for a long time, take a drink of Jesus. He'll take away that longing, that emptiness. John 3 says that he gives us his spirit without measure. Would y'all say that God gives us his spirit without measure? How much can we get? There's not a limit to it. How much do we want? Did you know that in the whole Bible, like we often think that the Trinity, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they show up in the New Testament, but they were there from the beginning to the end. And all through the Old Testament, when it talks about streams in the desert, when it talks about rivers, when it talks about the waves crashing over us, when it talks of drinking deep of wells of salvation, it's referring to the Holy Spirit, whom he gives us without measure. I wanna stir you up today to cultivate hunger in your heart for him. I'm gonna, this is gonna sound crazy, so I know you know me, so give me a little leeway here. I don't want the Lord to stir up a hunger for more revelation, for more learning of the word. All that's important, we need that. Thank you, Jesus. We, that is necessary, it's needed, it's, it's vital, it's foundational. But what we need more than anything is a heart that seeks him. Because the Bible says, you know it, Matthew 6, if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, everything else is added to our lives. The kingdom attracts what we need into our life. You've been working hard for something? The kingdom attracts that thing that you've been needing to your life. How do I attract that thing? I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And as I seek him first, he sends everything I need. 
It's the Father's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. Come on. I like how he says it better. I didn't quote it very well. Here's a better quote. Dear children, little children, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Everyone say, children. In Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read this and we're going to keep talking for a moment. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And Jesus is preaching a sermon. And my title here in a Bible my dad gave me, which is really cool. I've been carrying this Bible again. So um, Matthew 11, verse 20, the title that it says in my Bible is The Unrepenting Cities. The Unrepenting Cities. And it says in verse 20, Then Jesus began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Whoa. Jesus had to rebuke the place where he did the most miracles. How many want to see signs and wonders? Signs and wonders are supposed to follow us. We don't follow them. They're supposed to follow us as we follow Christ. Here's the thing about, we think, man, if God would show us these signs and wonders, everyone would believe. And I think the percentage rate of people that convert after seeing a sign and wonder is very low throughout the Bible. It, It doesn't make sense to us. We think, well, of course, If Jesus would raise someone from the dead, I would believe him and follow him the rest of my life. If Jesus would heal someone who's been lame their whole life, right in front of our eyes in this room, oh, absolutely, yes, forever to Jesus. If someone came in with leprosy, which we don't even see, if someone came in here um, with a horrible flesh-eating disease in this room and they were healed by Jesus, oh, I'm gonna serve him forever. I'll never be afraid to be sick again. I'll never be afraid to die. I knew I was going to do that. (laughs) He's a big, dumb animal, folks. (laughs) If I just saw miracles, I would believe. And the place where Jesus did the most miracles had the most unbelief. And the reason was is because they were offended with him and the Bible says that they were arrogant. They were, they were not in a place of humility. So he says he began to rebuke them, the place where he did the most miracles, because they did not repent. Here's what happens when we see a miracle. We're supposed to repent. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that... Jesus ties repentance to the seeing of signs and wonders. I think it goes something like this. I thought I knew something. I thought I saw. I thought I had eyes to see. But Jesus just did this thing, and I don't know anything. I don't see. I have no knowledge. Because 
That guy was dead, and now he's alive. And in my mindset, that can't happen. So something in my mind needs to change. It's repentance. So when we see a miracle, a sign or a wonder, our response should be awe toward God. Whoa, I thought I knew how the world works. I thought I knew how the Christian thing goes. I don't know anything. I'm a fool. Because you know something I don't know. And I need to see how you see. I need to be connected to whatever you're connected to. That's repentance. But this city wouldn't repent. And so he said to them, woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. Woo. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Why? Because they saw heaven on earth and it didn't change their heart. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would still be here to this day. Wow. We hear the word Sodom and Gomorrah, we think the most wicked city ever, ever that's ever been on the earth. The Bible says that the wickedness was so bad. You think the Bible's not interesting. Just read some of the Old Testament stories of what was going on in this. You think our time is crazy. Like... It's very similar in the spirit, but the stuff that was going on there was insane. And Jesus makes this statement here to Capernaum. He said, if, if they saw the miracles that you've seen, that most wicked city ever would have bowed its knees and repented in sackcloth and ashes. They would have humbled themselves. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable, tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And then Jesus, it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is talking to people and then immediately he answered his father. He's talking to the people and then it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said. So his father was dialoguing with him. And he pauses, and he looks up, and he says, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes and children. Everyone say children. Yes, Father, this was pleasing in your sight. And then he says, I, you've handed everything to me. And I know everything that you know, and it will be revealed to them. And then he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a scripture in Psalm 8, verse 2. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. It says, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. And I hear that song, and I go into the, was it Amy Grant or someone back in the day? Oh, Lord, oh Lord, 
How majestic is your name? Wow, we got some old Christians in the room. Yeah. yeah, I hear that verse and that's where my head goes. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. And then this verse is here. It's, it's planted here. Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained praise. Everyone say praise. praise. To silence the foe and the avenger. Woo. Out of the mouths of children and babes, you have ordained praise to silence our enemy and the avenger. Jesus said, unless we become converted and become like little children, we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Are you all okay? I'm just, there was something going on in the room and I wanted to sew it all together. There's something about childlike response to the Lord. And not think about it, not work it up, not do any of the adult stuff, the adulting we do. Kids just, oh, that's true. Okay. I didn't know that before. Now I know it. And they go on. Hey, my dad said. <laughs> There's something about children. And he uses that reference there. If you saw the miracles, or if they saw the miracles you've seen, they would have repented. And then he likened people that repent to little children. <laughs> Proverbs 25.2 says, you, you should know this by now. We, we say this one a lot. This is like one of the fire life verses. It is the glory of God to hide a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. I would love for us to be able to walk away from today, whether you're at home or you're here, and be like the light was turned on. And we lean toward it. <laughs> or that the wells were opened up and we drink deep from it. Like kids again. Like kids again. We're too prim and proper. We're too sophisticated. Yeah, it's definitely not sophistication. <laughs> it's it's redneck mastered in sophisticated masking sophistication. See, I can't even talk. Like. <sighs> I'm talking to Fire Life today. I'm just going to talk. I've been talking. I'm going to keep on. We have developed a pause in our response over time. We have developed a pause in our response to him. Like a, oh, wait. Or I've done that a hundred thousand times. I've sang this song. I've prayed that prayer. I've heard that verse. I've seen that miracle. It didn't move the meter of my heart at all because I've seen it so much. I'm desensitized to it. So there's a pause. Now, I really need something spectacular to get my attention again. And the Bible says that a wicked generation seeks after a sign. He calls it wicked. 
He calls it wicked for us to have a condition in our heart that says, hey, God, if you'll show me this one thing, I'll believe. Hey, God, if you'll do this thing for me, I'll respond to you. Hey, God, if you come into the room that it's just so ridiculous that I I can't deny it, I'll respond to you. Hey, God, if my wife responds, I'll respond. Hey, God, if, if... And I'm, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to break the pause button off of our lives when it comes to responding to you. Because he's hidden the very thing we long for. He's hidden it from us. Like, why would God do that? Because he wants seekers. He wants the curious. He wants the childlike to discover it. How many love, I mean, we got Christmas coming up. This is honestly my favorite part of Christmas. If my kids open a gift and they don't know what it is, because, you know, now they make their list and tell us. If they open a gift and they don't know what it is, and it's a surprise, the look on their face. And they look, they want to look to you and their eyes are like a light in their eyes. Oh, That's why he hides it from us. We have to fight for it. The stuff that we're going after for this house, the stuff that's been prophesied for 50, 60 years over this house are not going to be handed to arrogant, wise people. It's only going to be handed to foolish little children. And it's going to take seeking with a kid's heart. Going after it. It's going to cost us our pride. I love what the worship Kyle and them did. I'll become even more undignified than this. Why, why did David do that? Because what they thought was a curse was a blessing. They sent the Ark of the Covenant away because someone touched it and died. We have had a generation of doing church to where if you touch the presence, you die. Because we didn't do it right. My gosh. So we're like, well, we don't want that here. Because when his presence comes, we die. When his presence comes, our stuff comes to the surface, and that's no fun. So we've hidden it. We've sent the ark, the presence, the glory of God somewhere else. We'll bring it out every now and then. Oh, can we, can we touch it now? No, nope, it still kills us. That's the only way to have the presence is to die. And we've had a generation that were afraid of the presence, so we put it in a, a room somewhere else. We sent it to Obed-Edom's house but I'm here to give you a report of what happened when the ark was at Obed-Edom's house. Everything that house touched was blessed. His crops produced a bumper crop they've never seen before. 
the, there are theologians that tell this story that their barren women that were part of the house began to have six and seven children at a time. Woo! Come on. <laughs> I guess if you're going to have six or seven, get it all over at one time, right? <laughs> Just get it over with. <laughs> The animals begin to give birth in triplets and quadruplets and numbers they'd never seen before. And the, the ark was only there for a short time. And the thing that they thought killed you actually prospered you. And the report came to David. Dude, we sent the ark away because it killed us. Obed-Edom's house is the most blessed place that we know of. He's like, well, let's bring the ark back because we want the blessing of God. But David was wise. David was a man's after God's heart. So he did some research. He's like, okay, we had to do something wrong. Are y'all getting this? Goodness. How are we supposed to handle the presence? Okay, we're supposed to carry it on the shoulders of priests not on just common people it's not supposed to be touched it's supposed to be on rods specific rods there's supposed to only be the priest carrying it and every few steps I can't remember I think every seven steps or every few steps we have to stop and offer a sacrifice to God and then they pick the ark and they walk they would stop he would set the ark down and offer another offering to, before the Lord. And they figured out how to carry it. They figured out how to handle it. See, God has given us a way to handle his presence. And we can't do it through arrogance and through commonality. We can't do it through the way we've always done it. There has to be a reverence in our heart to his ways. I don't get to tell him how to run things. I don't get to tell him how to come when he, when he rests in a room. He comes however he wants to. I don't get to tell God, I just do what he says. I offer the sacrifice. I pick the ark up. We walk. We offer the sacrifice. They did that all the way back to the palace. And that's when David danced. Because the presence of God was back. And it didn't mean death anymore. It meant favor. It meant blessing. It meant increase. It meant that the presence and the glory of God would stay. But we've become so adult and I hear the Lord calling us. It's the glory of God to hide a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Let's do some research. We've been doing some research recently. I can tell in the atmosphere. It's night and day, the atmosphere, just from a few weeks ago. Because we're doing some research. Okay, I grew up in this. I've seen this before. Yep, I've seen Jericho marches. I used to be the arrogant kid that said, hey, where's Jericho and why are we marching? <laughs> I, I was that guy too, but then I was also the fool. 
I've gone back and forth. I think I've grown more into the arrogant fool. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the wise, but revealed it to children and babes. How old is your heart today? is your heart is it weathered it's got some calluses some rough spots here's some research I found Joel chapter 2, verse 12. You can write this down. Joel 2, verse 12. Joel 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. Would y'all say that with me? Return to me with all of your heart. And then here's the research. With fasting. Oh, Not in the holiday season. Any other time. That's the best time to do a fast. The holiday season. Fasting. Weeping. And mourning. And then what does it say? I don't know what your translation says, but mine says, rend your heart. Not your garments and return to the Lord your God. See, in the Bible, when people would repent and return to God, as a sign, an outward sign of of repentance, they would rip their garments. They would tear them. And the Lord says, I don't want you to rend your garments. You've done that before. I want you to rip your heart open. Rip it open. Let me convert you into a child again. Jeremiah talks about the potter and the clay. How the clay doesn't say to the potter, hey, I want to be this. The potter says, no, you will be what I will make you. And he worked on it and worked on it. Oh, wasn't quite right. Crushed it. How many have ever been crushed? Oh, do you know it's it's the kindness of God to crush us? It doesn't feel like it or sound like it to our adult minds, but it is the kindness of God to crush us. He took the clay, he crushed it, he worked it again, he molded it. Oh, not quite right. Crushed it again, remolded it into his heart's desire. God's doing something here. And I, I, <laughs> I just feel the focus just narrowing very clearly. And 
the words spoken over this house, is this supposed to be a revival house? It's been, I've heard that my whole life. I know Robbie is out today with family, but she's probably been here longer than anyone else. I'm pretty sure of that. She was here way, 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 way back. And she would say, yeah, it's been prophesied over this church for 50 years or more. It's supposed to be a revival house, a sending house. And I know it. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, it requires your presence. And we sent your presence away because we were afraid of it. We put your Holy Spirit in a back room somewhere. We took your intercessors. We whittled them down to just a few old, older people. And they had to be ladies. And we hit them somewhere. And we took the tongues and the Holy Spirit stuff and we, we watered it down so they didn't bother people and offend people. We shortened our services. We stopped other services during the week. We did all the stuff that we thought would make the church more attractive. And we put the presents at Obed-Edom's house. And the Lord's like, no. So we've got some research and we've got some repentance to do. We need to find what moves God's heart. And David told us the secret. He's like, if you longed for, if you wanted an offering of bulls and rams, I would bring that to you. If that's what you wanted, I would do it. But the offering you want is that of a broken and a contrite. Broken and a contrite heart. You will not reject that as an offering. So I encourage you today to find out how to rip your heart open. How to take the calloused places and just rip them open. Like, it's going to hurt, absolutely. Sometimes getting better means pain. But the Lord's going to crush, crush me. We need him to crush us. pray over the house and then we're going to pray. We're going to have altar time. We're going to come before the Lord. That's the other thing we did. Oh, we're not going to do altars. We don't even have altars here anymore. Shame on me. Why, why is the altar important? It's where God meets us. You're like, well, his altar's everywhere. Absolutely. You're right. He's everywhere. But there's something that happens when we come to the altar. So in a minute, we're going to come to the altar. We, we may even bring some old school altars up in here. I think that'd be a great idea. Tear-stained altars. Whew. Got the oil stains on the altars. I remember them. Oh, Jesus. So, Father, we come to you right now.
and we repent. We don't want you to say, oh, fire life. If the miracles that, had, had, that you've seen, if they'd been done down the street, they'd have revival by now. So we ask for you to forgive us for sending the ark of your presence somewhere else. Bring your presence back to fire life. It's in our name. We named it that for a reason. That you'd put fire on the altar of this house. We will walk carefully. Everyone listen to me. The next few days and weeks are very important for us as a church to walk carefully. Don't make assumptions. Let's guard our hearts, our mouths. Let's guard our affections. Let's get into the unity of the Spirit. Amen? Let me say amen to that. We want to be in the unity of the Spirit of what He's doing. We don't want to be distracted. Yeah, we could come up with 15 things we need to do as a church, but we want to do the research and do the thing that's needed. And we need to find out how to carry your presence again. We need to learn how to host your presence in our own hearts and in our homes and the church in our community. God, I ask that your presence would come back to our homes. Come on, pray that with me. God, bring your presence back to my home. May it be a resting, a dwelling place for your presence. We will walk carefully. We will humble ourselves. We will seek your face. We'll do our research. We'll put first things first. Amen? We'll put first things first. This is the kingdom principle. If we put first things first, we get second, third, fourth, fifth things. If we put those things first, we don't get any of it. None of it. God, I ask that you would make us little children again. Convert us. You said you would, unless we're converted and become as a child, we cannot enter the kingdom. God, we need to be converted all over again. We must be born again. We break up right now the fallow ground of our hearts. We break up the arrogant wisdom in our mind. We don't know. We haven't seen. We don't have a better idea. We are empty. We are poor in spirit. Come on, pray that. I am poor in spirit. 
Matthew 5, 2, verse, actually Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray for your neighbor? God, make us poor in spirit. Make us poor in spirit. Make us a child again. Fill us with childlike wonder. Stand with me. I'm going to read Joel 2 again, verse 12 and 13. Return to me with all of your heart. What's our homework? Fasting. Fasting. Weeping. Morning. And rend your heart, not your garments, and return to the Lord. Would you lift your hands and just begin to call out to God? Yeah. God, we need to meet with you today. We surrender to you. invite you to come to the altar. Would you come here to the front, please, and just seek his face? Come on, that's all. We're we're just going to come up here, seek his face. We're going to be the plant leaning toward the light, drinking deep from the wells of salvation.
we make an altar in our heart for you, God. We've made a place for you. Come on. Let your presence dwell in the altar of our hearts. May the ark of your presence come back to our homes. Come back to our church. Come back to our communities, God. draw near to you. Mm. You said if we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. And then you said, wash your hands, purify your hearts. We do that right now, God. We rip our hearts. We repent. We repent. The answer is to repent. Yes, Lord. We see it your way. We were mistaken. We were under a spell. We were lied to. We see it your way now. God, I ask that you would open our eyes. Come on. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Remove the deafness from our ears. Remove the hardness from our hearts. this week is to do some research. Find what pleases the Lord. Find what offering he wants, what sacrifice, and just give it to him. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for being here. We bless you with the presence of God. May you be like a child. (laughs) Amen.